0: The iShots Podcast, Episode 19. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Ice Shots. My name is Michael Ivy Leotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, we bring you discussions and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well hello everyone and uh, welcome again to this episode of VI Shots. Um, I'm very excited today to have a a guest on our show. His name is uh, John Bergmans. He's the founder and owner of uh, Bergmans Mechatronics and uh, he's here to talk about some of his uh, web technology that he's been working on. Uh, If you recall last uh, episode, we uh, talked a, a little bit uh, about uh, the Data Dashboard app, which was released by National Instruments. And uh, this application runs on iOS and Android devices. Um, however, there's uh, there's other technology out there that allows you to uh, control a LabVIEW application as well. And John has been working on this. Uh, John, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Michael. Thanks.
0: Uh, John, um, you've been working on uh, uh, an application called uh, LabSockets and uh, I guess it's a play on the term uh, for uh, WebSockets, uh, and it's called LabSockets. Uh, can you describe a little bit, uh, give us an overview of what LabSockets is?
1: Uh, yeah, well, so what uh, the Socket system does is it's um, a system for uh, allowing LabVIEW developers to easily uh, replicate their LabVIEW applications in a browser. And the way it works is that you you drop um, a couple of um, uh, LabSocket VIs into your, uh, your LabVIEW block diagram. And then when you launch your, your VI, uh, and I'm, I'm, I refer to the, the main VI that you're trying to replicate as your uh, target VI. So when you launch the target VI, these uh, LabSocket uh, VIs will do a screen scrape of your front panel. They basically look at all of the components, on the front panel, and uh, create uh, JavaScript and HTML equivalents for all of those components, and then publish those. Uh, the, then it publishes that code uh, to uh, a website. It can be either uh, a website that I'm running or your own website, uh, and then the system ends up setting up a WebSocket connection uh, between the target VI and the uh, and your web page. So then when you point your browser to that web page you will be able to or the the components that you see in your uh, in your browser are uh, automatically synchronized to your front panel so for example if you press uh, a button um, on this uh, representation in the browser it will automatically send a signal via webSockets back to the front panel and it will and it will basically remotely press that button on the labview front panel and Vice versa. So, if you update a text field, for example, in the LabView front panel, it will automatically get updated in the uh, in the in the browser, um, and so, and all of this happens seamlessly without having to write any HTML or JavaScript code. So, uh, so I think it has some um, some some potential for um, for allowing developers to uh, extend their LabView applications uh, to the web.
0: Now, uh, we, uh, we talked a little bit uh, offline the other day about uh, a little bit more details on how this works, and so the, the, the browser you have sort of communicates with an intermediary, right? And that would be the server?
1: That's correct, yeah. You actually have uh, a central server uh, t- well, yeah. Typically, you would have a, a separate th- um, third machine involved with all of this, and on that machine, you would have an, uh, a web server, like or an HTTP server, like a, uh, an Apache server, and then you also have a message broker, and that message broker is responsible for uh, for uh, synchronizing the, the the LabVIEW application and the browser. Um, so, so yeah. So, in in my previous explanation. What really happens is you uh, generate an event in your browser and that gets sent to uh, to this message broker and then the message broker in turn sends the message back to the LabVIEW application.
0: So if some people that might have concern about, uh, you know, the server being uh, hosted in the cloud and whatnot, um, there are options where you can, I believe, have this uh, internally, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So. Is- I still haven't. This system is uh, is relatively new, and I still haven't quite figured out um, all of the use cases for the system. But um, I know that some people are concerned about using the cloud for their applications, and so um, I do have uh, an option where you can uh, install the message broker and HTTP server um, on your own. Uh, on your own server and that can be your own cloud server or it can be a a, a machine within your own local area network and in fact if you want you can even make the system more compact and you can install those two components on the same uh, machine as your LabVIEW application too. Um, So you could basically have a a PC with uh, LabVIEW uh, the message broker and the, uh, the the web server and those three components would all be running on on that one machine.
0: So um, your technology uses web sockets, and um, so it's probably kind of strange how someone you know interested in LabVIEW would get into web technology. And uh, and ha- explain a little bit um, how how you got into into doing this.
1: Oh yeah, well, so a few years ago I was. Um, this was back in about uh, 2008. I started to think about well, it, it seems like there are still potentially a lot of opportunities in the uh, in the web world for developing applications, and uh, and so I started to just sort of dabble around a little bit with making uh, with making a, a time management uh, application, and. Um, uh, that was it. Was actually kind of a neat little application. It didn't really have any commercial uh, uh, applicability, but uh, it was a good exercise to build something like this. And part of that system uh, involved a dashboard, which would display all of the tasks or the status of a bunch of tasks that were pending or or, or, or completed. And um, and I and I was looking at that dashboard, and I was thinking, well, it sure would be neat if there was a way to have that information um, updated via uh, via a, a mechanism similar to TCP sockets, and previously I'd done some work with TCP/IP sockets and understood the power of connecting different applications using that mechanism. And so I I was sitting there I was thinking well it sure would be neat if there was something like TCP/IP sockets for the browser, and uh, and so this was in about uh, uh, about the uh, spring of two thousand and nine. Uh, and and I ended up coming across this uh, WebSocket concept. And uh, there was actually a company in Mountain View called Kazing. and they uh, well, they still are actually working on a uh, a, a webSocket uh, a gateway system. And that system was or is is designed, among other things, to enable um, even old browsers to that don't have native WebSocket capability. It it will actually do an emulation of a WebSocket connection, and so I didn't at the time, or initially, I didn't have a WebSocket-enabled browser, but I ended up just started starting to dabble with the uh, um, with the web, the Kazing WebSocket gateway and started to really understand how to make WebSocket-based applications, and I made what what I believe is the first uh, WebSocket game for Facebook uh, at the time. And it was basically a little sort of a 1980s uh, spaceship, um, you know, multiplayer spaceship game. You could you could basically log into Facebook and then go to the game, and groups of players could uh, could fly their little spaceships around and shoot at each other. And um, and so I so I became pretty proficient at making these uh, WebSocket uh, applications. I made a few other little demos, and um, and then I was realizing, well, you know, you could you could combine uh, fairly easily uh, LabVIEW and WebSockets to, to display um, LabVIEW data in a browser. And so I ended up creating a, um, uh, a, a client for this message broker. And I should mention that the, the message broker uses the STOMP protocol, which is the, uh, the streaming text-oriented uh, messaging protocol. So I ended up creating a LabVIEW-based STOMP client, which can send and receive messages, to a Stomp uh, broker, Stomp message broker, and this message broker uh, that I'm currently using, which is MQ, uh, ActiveMQ. Uh, ActiveMQ also can talk uh, or can speak WebSockets. So by sending messages to the message broker using Stomp on one end, I'm able to, or the message broker can turn those messages around and send WebSocket messages to your um, to your browser. So I so a few years ago, I'd sort of conceived of that concept and made a little demo of, of the system, and um, that was pretty well received by the local uh, LabVIEW community here in uh, here in Southern California. I I did a presentation at my local uh, uh, LabVIEW users group um, meeting about the about the initial prototype of the system, um, and then uh, and then and then in the spring of uh, uh, 2011 there was a developer in Switzerland. Uh, his name is uh, Daniel uh, Kolicker, and uh, and he's with uh, uh, Dynasys. And he said, uh, hey, John, uh, I'd like to use your system for a ski school uh, judging competition. Um, can I, you know, can I use your system for that? And I, I said, sure. And so I ended up, uh, that request ended up Um, requiring me to really fine tune the system for his application and it really drove the development of a lot of capabilities and um but he was able to actually use that system quite successfully for uh for that ski school uh, jumping competition and it involved um uh, five judges each with a an ipod touch device and each of those devices was connected wirelessly to a central a uh, uh, central uh, server and, and that server was being used to basically collect data and, uh, and aggregate it and put it all into a, uh, into a lab view or into an Excel spreadsheet. And that central server was also driving the displays that the, um, uh, that the judges were seeing. So that system was was quite successful and I'm, and since then I've been trying to refine the system. And uh, and also trying to find other applications, and I'm starting to get some traction uh, with that now.
0: So uh, and that I guess is is LabSocket, um, which uh, when you get it, I guess you, it's it's a, a collection of VIs that you put inside your application, and you specify what front panel you want to uh, to publicize.
1: Yeah, well, um, well, more precisely, it's a, a collection of VIs, and you basically just put you put two VIs. Into your uh, into your block diagram, and then <clears throat> the whichever block diagram you've put those VIs into, it will it basically looks at the, the front panel for that particular VI, and and so that VI becomes what I had mentioned or what I'd referred to earlier as the target VI, and then your target VI gets gets published uh, to your uh, or published on your on your website. And, that,
0: and and that's bi-directional communication, meaning that you can control that and add um, data to it and control the, the front panel.
1: Uh, correct. Yeah, you can and you can control the front panel either directly, you know, through uh, from your from your LabVIEW application, or you can control it um, through the browser. So you mentioned how you got uh started
0: and how you got interested into the in the web technology um but uh, you were sort of working with LabVIEW way before that as well um You've, uh, I think you started as far back as 1996. Do you remember what LabVIEW version that was back then?
1: Yeah, I think it was. Um, I believe it was LabVIEW 3.1. <laughs> and uh, okay, that about, was a, it's
0: about the same version that I started, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was, and that was a uh, kind of a well. I mean, it was it was good for what it was at the time. But thinking back about that version, it was really quite painful to use because it didn't have the main the main deficiency was it didn't have an undo feature. So you could you know you could be going along and you could you know accidentally delete a case statement and then you'd have to basically recreate everything within that case statement. So it was uh, it was quite painful to to use, but it's it's since gotten quite a bit better, obviously.
0: Yeah, and also Windows at the time was horrible at memory management. So um, if you were manipulating large data with LabVIEW, you were in, in trouble. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: I, I remember also that. It would if there was a broken wire you had to go looking for the broken wire yourself it didn't it wouldn't point out where that broken wire was and i remember i I seem to remember that that was one uh, one limitation too and it was pretty painful to go around trying to figure out why your vi wasn't running
0: (laughs) so you started using labview um, to do uh, actual test systems and and data collection um, systems Um, can you describe some of the systems you've worked
1: on in the past uh, yeah. So the first system that I had uh, developed, or the reason that I really got started with LabView was I was working on a uh, a new type of uh, rocket motor uh, known as an air turbo rocket, and um, so this system uses a, a solid propellant gas generator to pro- to produce the the drive gas for the uh, for the engine, and um, and. What, my, uh, what the company that I was working at, um, this company was CFD Research, what they wanted to do was to be able to actively control the combustion process within that gas generator. And so um, they had this mechanism which could be used to vary the, uh, the, the throat area, and um, by doing that you can control the, the mass flow rate coming out of the gas generator and then indirectly control the pressure inside the gas generator. And so, uh, they were using a, a, stepper motor to drive this, uh, this, uh, this valve mechanism. And, um, I had, I had realized that, oh, if, if we really want to make a nice system to control this, uh, to control this, uh, gas generator, uh, we should use a particular stepper motor that had, uh, that had LabVIEW drivers available, and my thinking was was well, this will make the development process pretty simple. You know, we'll get the stepper motor; it'll come with drivers. We'll get LabVIEW, and it will it will go together fairly quickly. And in fact, that's what happened. It was pretty straightforward to build that system. Um, and then over the years, so that was in about the '96 time frame that I used. Lab view for that gas generator application, and um, and one small detail is that that was an open loop system. We weren't doing closed loop control of the gas generator at that time. But then in subsequent years, um, I was we ended up m- moving to uh, using C for our for the solid propellant um, projects that I was working on there at uh, at uh, in at CFD research, and um, but then after that, when I started my own company. Um, I started to get approached by folks to develop um, LabVIEW applications for rocket motor projects, and one of the big projects that I worked on was um, a second stage uh, motor that was being ground tested in Mojave, and this was this was a, a, a fairly large DARPA program, and so I made um, I made the I made the uh, the ground control equipment or the the, the software to control the the ground control equipment in LabVIEW for uh, for two uh, test stands, and uh, that was very interesting work uh, to do that. And since then, I've also worked on uh, a, uh, an oxy fuel system, as well as uh, right now I'm in the middle of an enhanced oil recovery system project. And um, so there's there's a you know, so I've got a, I've been working on a few uh, LabVIEW applications and other uh, and other fairly significant systems uh, over the years.
0: So, um, data in the cloud—I um, know—is is a popular term. And uh, the cloud, well, back in my day, the cloud was called the internet. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, cloud is is very popular. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to having uh, data in the cloud, um, and I think. There's uh, there's different technologies out there. So what what are some of the benefits of having data in the cloud?
1: Well, I guess one of the big uh, one of the big ones is that there's basically unlimited storage. So you know you can, uh, you know from a, from from all uh, from a practical perspective, there's really no limit to the amount of storage that's available. And the same thing goes for processing power. You know you can you can with basically just a with a basic account on Amazon, uh, you can you can spin up you know, I think it's a uh, hundred instances um, just like that. And um, so that's, so those are pretty big benefits to be able to, to do that. Um, and then of course you have redundancy too, where uh, Amazon or your, your cloud provider will take care of all the, the redundancy and, and backup issues. Um, so those are those are uh, great features obviously of, of the cloud.
0: Are, are there drawbacks?
1: Um, well, I guess, obviously, one is that you need to have network access to the cloud. So if you're in a situation where, you know, you're depending on pulling data down or putting data up onto the, the cloud, um, and you, you know, for whatever reason, you don't have access, like if you're, say, in a remote location, or you're in a, a location where there's like poor Wi-Fi service, then you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of out of luck in in that situation. So, you're really relying on a lot of infrastructure that you may not have that much control over so that's that's a, a, a bit of a concern but i think things are getting better all the time in that area so it's you know 10 or 10 or 20 years from now you know it'll you know internet access will be as ubiquitous as you know as electricity and it, it just won't be it uh, won't be an issue
0: Um, now there's, there's, there's some technologies out there. Um, I know, um, last, uh, episode Grant mentioned something about the NI technical data cloud. Um, so that appears to be, um, that appears to be a, um, a pilot program, a sort of a pioneer program that, uh, only a few people can, can try it out. I, I actually tried to join and, um, I can't seem to be able to get on that. <laughs> oh. I'll have to try harder. Maybe I should uh, talk to Grant directly. Um, but uh, there, you've also mentioned uh, to me in the past that there's uh, something called Sensor Cloud by another company.
1: Uh, yeah, th- and that's a system that's made by uh, 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 MicroStrain. And um, so that system, you can have, they have all sorts of devices that can be used to basically plug into their own uh, cloud infrastructure. And you, I guess you can basically put push an unlimited amount of data into their databases, and then they also have a very attractive user interface with which you can um, you can look at your own data. Um, so that's that's a nice system. But I, from what I understand, it's only a one-way system. So it, you can only push data into their cloud. So you can't. You can't. I may be wrong about this, but from what I can tell, you can't. Remotely control a device using using their system, uh, but it certainly is a, a, a good start to creating a a, a cloud-based uh, uh, data acquisition and and storage system. So uh, this lab socket,
0: as you mentioned, uh, it's something new that you've recently. Um... Sort of productized and, and gotten out there. Uh, I believe it's not available on the LabVIEW Tools Network yet. Um, so how how do people um, get this and and how do they get more information about it?
1: Yeah, uh, well, you can go to labsocket.com. That's the main website which uh, has information about the system. And uh, if you you can download an evaluation copy of the the system, and so that will you'll basically be able to or that download. That download includes the the VIs that are necessary to publish a a front panel uh, on uh, in a uh, in a web page. And that system uses um, a message broker and web server on my own uh, or within the labsocket.com system. And so uh, so that, you know, that'll that'll work just fine for demo applications. if you if you want to get more serious about uh, using the system, there's also a, a, a page on labsocket.com where you can purchase your own license for. A, there's a couple of different versions of the system that you can that you can purchase through that page, and um, one of those is a, a, a I call it a customer server version, and so that version includes um, setup instructions for setting up the system within your own uh, server uh, it, it in one of the configurations that I had mentioned previously. So it can be either on your own physical server, or your own cloud server, or your own the same platform as the LabVIEW application. So um, yeah, so just go to, to to labsocket.com and it should be pretty self-explanatory as to how to get started with the system. And also, my contact information is included um, at that site too. And you know, if if you want to just order a system. Um, by email, you can do that too. Or if you have questions, you can you can. I'm more than happy to to take questions by email.
0: And so there's uh, I see there's two um, two flavors. One is the customer server LabSocket basic, which uh, is 595. And then there's the LabSocket multi client. What is the multi client?
1: Yeah. So with multi client, you can um, you can replicate multiple instances of a single target VI in in multiple browsers so 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 the way of thinking about that is is that you have this one target vi which actually doesn't run when the multi when the multi-client system is running but the the um the lab socket code takes a look at that target vi or it's basically a prototype of the target vi and it creates a number of running copies of that target vi and each of those copies is then, or, or or instances of that target VI, each instance of that target VI is then, has its own um, replica on the uh, HTTP server, and it has a unique connection to the message broker. And so that configuration is ideal for situations like the, like that ski school jumping, uh, or ski school judging competition, where each judge had to have a unique Connection back to the main um, back to the main LabView application. So they had to have their a unique display, and they needed to be able to enter their their unique scores into their into the browser that was running within their iPod Touch device. So the uh, the customer server system is a little bit more complicated to to get up and running. But for those kind of situations where you need to have M- multiple instances of a target VI, that's that's really the way to go.
0: So in the LabVIEW side, of course, there has to be some way to um, handle these multiple instances back to some common task, right? And then right. Th- that's kind of up to you, right? At that point. Right, <laughs> you, yeah. And- you, you just handle sort of the multiple interface, and then your code has to you know, manage uh, getting all that data into that one thing. One, whether it's you know recording data or maybe controlling some hardware or something
1: right yeah and with that version i include uh, a a demo configuration of a of a server there's a lot of servers involved in the, the lab socket <laughs> system but there's there's a, a server vi which is the central vi that that is uh, that receives and transmits data to and from these Target VI instances, and that communication is done. Well, I guess you can do it. There's all sorts of different ways you can do it, but I recommend using a, a functional global to. And so there's a, an instance of the functional global in each uh, instance of the target VI, and then that VI is also used within the server VI. Okay. So um, if if someone someone was going to get started with the uh, the LabSocket system, I would recommend using just the the basic just to get a feel because there's so many moving parts in, in this system, I'd recommend getting started with the basic. And then, you know, once you've kind of got a feel for it, then maybe upgrading to the multi-client. And, um, and I don't, there's no, there's no add on fees or anything with doing the upgrade. I would just, you know, it would be basically just the, if you did want to upgrade to the multi-client, I would just charge the difference in price between those, those two systems.
0: Yeah, and also we should remind people that uh, this is a system that works on pretty much any uh, client uh, computer. Uh, it could work on a PC, it can work on a Mac, it can also work on mobile devices, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, the, 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 uh, the la- on the, the LabVIEW side, it will run on any LabVIEW platform. Um, well, any, it won't run on a, a LabVIEW RT platform or a real-time platform, but it will run you know, on any conventional uh, LabVIEW platform. And then the clients can be basically uh, any device, or it can be a, a, any modern browser on pretty much any device. So it can be you know, anything from, say, Chrome on a Mac to, um, uh, you know, to uh, uh, Safari on, a, on an iPhone or an iPad or uh, there's a there's a a a list of uh, browsers uh, or there's a link to a list of browsers that support websockets on the labsocket.com website and pretty much any of those browsers can be used um, with the labsocket system that's really the only key requirement is you need to be able to or the browser needs to be able to support websockets um, and there's no need for there's this is one of the, the big differentiators of the LabSocket system versus other systems is that there's no need for any plugins at all uh, in your browser. So, uh, so that really widens the, the field of available browsers that are compatible with, uh, with this system.
0: It's plugin free. (laughs) Right. Yep. Okay, John. Well, uh, that's, that's a lot of great information. Uh, I I encourage everyone to go uh, download the demo, try it out.
1: Do you mind if I add one additional uh, detail about the, the LabSocket system? Sure. The one thing that's uh, interesting to think about with the LabSocket system is that um, LabSockets is a uh, a nice, obviously for, from the LabVIEW developer point of view, it's a way to get a LabVIEW application into a browser, but this, is, I'll kind of leave this as a parting thought, and that is that It's also a demonstration of the use of LabVIEW as a uh, programming tool for dynamic web applications. And so I, I, I think down the future or down the road in the future, uh, the LabSocket system could be used as the basis for not for people who aren't LabVIEW developers now, but you could basically like a web developer could come along and use LabVIEW as a tool for creating their dynamic web applications. And that application, I mean, there could be, who knows how many users there could be for that type of uh, an application. It seems like there could be far more possibly that would be interested in using LabVIEW for web applications than LabVIEW developers who are wanting to extend their LabVIEW application to the web.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting idea and um, could increase LabVIEW adoption.
1: I th- I think it could be big, yeah. And so, I mean, if anybody's interested in talking to me about that, I'd be uh, I'd be more than happy to to discuss what would be involved with that.
0: Okay, John. Uh, thanks again. Um, do you have uh, I? You're on the social networks, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the uh, an easy way to reach me is just uh, on Twitter. I'm uh, uh, at jbergman's.
0: Okay. Thank you. So
1: okay, very good. Well, nice to speak with you, Michael, and uh, we'll be in touch.
0: And thank you all for listening to this episode of VI Shots. You can leave uh, comments on our episode at VIShots.com. You can reach us by email at feedback at And also don't forget to give us a review on iTunes, it'll help boost our ratings.